Welcome to episode 182 of The Brian Oak Show, being recorded as we speak in the Smart Start MN studio. Our thanks to Smart Start. My thanks to everybody who listens, our Patreon members, the good people at AudioQuip, all of our sponsors, really, and to today's guest. But before we get ahead of ourselves, my name is Brian Oak. That is Sean Bernard. How are you, Sean? I'm doing fine. How are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm a little pressed, as the kids like to say. Uh, so is your car. Yeah, no. It um, Yesterday, when that storm blew through... Um, I never park across the street from my house. Not never, but maybe one time out of 20, and I always park right in front of my house. It was full yesterday, so I parked on the other side of the street. I took a little nap before going to one of my radio obligations, and when I woke up, I saw the trees whipping back and forth. I'm like, I got to shower and get out of here. So went outside, running a little late, and noticed that a gigantic piece of deadfall, a huge tree branch, from a tree literally directly above my vehicle, fell straight down, smashed out the entire window. My The entire inside of my vehicle is filled with tempered glass right now. Yeah. Spread in a beautiful array. It's almost like a Jackson It's kind of magical in a way how it happens, yeah, how it does it that. It really is. I'd like you to come over and help me vacuum <laughs> out the magic. Came through, smashed the whole door in, broke the mirror. It really was uh, really a, a wonderful, wonderful addition to an already busy week. So that part is fine. What are you going to do, right? It happens. I on the, on the plus side, you always look for the silver lining, right? Uh, my insurance carrier does not raise your rates due to acts of nature. Well, that's kind. Yeah. So look at that. It's all coming together. Everything's <laughs> starting to happen. State fair is underway. All the madness is underway. <sighs> and here we are. That opening track that we heard right there was by a guy by the name of Jack Nietzsche. Jack Nietzsche is one of those behind-the-scenes legends who's not an everyday household name, but when you work at a record store or you're a deep music fan, you know him well because early on, he grew up in Michigan and he moved out to Los Angeles to make it big in the music industry. And the name of the song? Uh, that one was called The Lonely Surfer. The Lonely Surfer. Exactly. Well, and it, so it came out in 1963 when all that surf stuff was still very popular before the Beatles literally turned the entire world on its head. I like the feel of that one. That was a, I really liked it. That was very cool. mellow. Well, so he's this really cool guy, and he really made his name in doing orchestral arrangements, choral arrangements, things like that. And he, uh, early on, fell in with Sonny Bono and therefore got to know Phil Spector and ended up working mm. on all kinds of incredible and important and amazing records. But again, Jack Nietzsche, not a household name, but he would go on to catch the attention within a year or two of that song right there of a little band called The Rolling Stones. And I have to admit, I've been a little bit obsessed lately with, you know, the death of Charlie Watts has really got me going over that old school catalog, whether it be the very earliest blues and Chuck Berry influenced stuff or the sort of psychedelic weird era, or the deep drugged out 70s era. I got to admit, I know a lot of people stand up for the 80s era stones and the 90s era. It's not my jam. Not so much. Not really my jam. But I've been digging into it a lot lately. So our guest coming up is, he's going to hate that I say this. He's going to hate it. But, you know, I've been I've done radio for a long time, as yeah. you have, right? And um, I know I'm given to hyperbole. I don't consider myself all that good at it. Adequate. Otherwise, you, I wouldn't be able to have done it for as long as I have. But you listen to certain people who are not like anybody else, and you kind of marvel, and you're like, well, I'm going to break this down. I'm going to crack the code. I'm going to figure out what makes this what it is. And to this day, lo, these decades later, I still haven't been able to figure his shit out, and I remain deeply enamored of what he does, what he creates. 
T.D. Mishke is our guest today, and I'm very excited to have him on. So let's get this song out of the way, come back, and make a real conversation out of this, shall we? I wanted to play this next song, though, because uh, Jack Nietzsche, who did all this behind-the-scenes stuff, who worked with, with, through the, with the Stones through my, really my favorite era of the Stones, he came up with the choral arrangement that kicks off this particular song mm. right here. To me, one of the most iconic moments in Stone's discography. But Jack Nitsche is the guy who came up with this particular choral arrangement. So the Rolling Stones on episode 182 of The Brian Oak Show.
I got to apologize. I didn't know I p- picked a live version. That was not my intent at all. I Look right there. Does that not look like the cover of Let It Bleed? That's precisely what that is. I just assumed without listening. My bad. <clears throat> it's the Brian Oak Show, episode 182, and it's made possible by our good friends at Smart Start MN. Smart Start, they are Minnesota's original ignition interlock company. How does it work? You get a DUI, which I wish you didn't, but you did, and that's how it works out. So instead of judging, let's try to get back to a regular, normal, everyday life, shall we? Get a hold of Smart Start MN, get the ignition interlock in your car, get back to driving sooner and for less money than you might otherwise expect. Yeah, go to smartstartmn.com slash the Brian Oak Show. That'll get you 20% off the installation of the ignition interlock. Plus, they're giant music heads, so if you mention that you heard about it here on the Brian Oak Show, it's already going to get things off to a good start, as though it could be any better 
than it already is. The most awkward thing in my radio career was when somebody was endorsing a company that you could tell they didn't believe in. Yeah. And the cool thing about this is that it goes both ways. And Smart Start guys love music. They fit with this show. And we like helping DWI people. Well, we like helping people <laughs> who occasionally don't make the best decisions, well, I, right? You know, they, they like it that they don't shame people either, because you're already Correct. getting it from all sides at oh. that point, and you're not a happy camper, and maybe you got other bigger issues at that time, but and, they don't shame you when you show up at their office. Nope, and they help you with that one simple step. So again, smartstartmn.com slash Brian Oak Show. Today's guest is somebody who I remember hearing uh, late at night, mm-hmm. maybe not super late at night, but the sun was down and I was coming home from a gig or something I had to do. And I remember tuning in to AM 1500, low these many years ago. And I heard this guy who was not afraid of dead air. Now, at this point, I'd only really been doing radio professionally for three, four or five years. This guy wasn't afraid of dead air. In fact, he seemed to be something of a sorcerer and almost seemed to relish how uncomfortable it made people and how forbidden dead air was. If you've never done radio, it is the absolute cardinal sin. And he seemed to enjoy it. And then when he came back, it didn't always have anything to do with what he had been talking about prior to when it began. And from night to night, when I began to listen to him, when I first sort of fell in love with a style of broadcasting that I'd never heard before in my entire life, I, you didn't know what you were going to get, but in the best possible way. And no matter what way it came forward, whether it was him suddenly breaking into a random song that he was writing on the spot like he was somewhere between a witch doctor and a beatnik, or having guests on that made no sense, that no other radio station in their right mind would possibly allow on, I found myself completely enamored of Tommy Mischke. Now, he has worked all over the place, hosted KSTP, CCO. He's been a columnist for City Pages. For years now, he has made his way as a podcaster, an early adopter, because podcasts, I don't know if you've heard, Sean, but there's a lot of them out there. Oh, my God. 700,000 podcasts now is what I heard. The latest number, 700,000. And most of them really fantastic. For the last eight <laughs> years, the monthly roadshow podcast, the Mischke Roadshow, has been his bread and butter. Now, whereas we are crapping these things out twice a week, <laughs> he does it once a month. And it is, it's kind of remarkable. The guy has, continues to maintain this vision that I find fascinating a little bit OCD, but also very, very fascinating. Without further ado, I would like to welcome TD Tommy Mischke to the Brian Oak Show podcast. Hi, Tommy. You're the first person who's ever said a little bit OCD. I don't know that you're wrong, but you're the first person who's ever said it. And well, I mean personally or publicly. No one's ever said that. How how would one know? Well, I would, and I'm certainly not qualified. No, I don't mean how would you know. How would I know if I wanted to find out? Well, I think you'd have to talk to some sort of professional. I don't know for sure. I've done plenty of that. It's not been brought up. Okay, well, and here's what I mean by OCD, right? Because I'm I'm not clinical, and I and that's probably you know there are going to be certain people who will find it offensive that I even brought that up as a reference point. What I mean is this: having worked, well, those up- guys are mentally sick. <laughs> What I meant by it was having worked with you on a podcast and knowing what the raw form is, you give yourself enough time to explore the space, right? You on your podcast 
I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that post-production, unlike what we do on this show, which is just slap it on the ass and send it out to the world, I believe that post-production matters to you because I believe there's a certain broadcasting articulation that you seem to favor and really relish, and by taking time in post-production, you can put a finer point on the things you want to say, the points you want to emphasize. I just, I, I'm, I'm sort of in awe of your ability to dedicate to it and to really drill down. I think that the essence of what you're doing is important to you, and it takes time to find that voice somewhere in there. I just figured out what you were talking about. So you come to this through our experience with For the Sake of the Song. Uh-huh. And I get it now. You're right. We did not do it this way, where we're just sitting around BS. And I mean, we did it this way. Right. But then I had to take it after that and fix it. In my mind, the same way, say, if you're Bob Dylan and you're one take Bobby, and you're saying, let's let's capture lightning in a bottle, I'm... Sergeant Peppers. Yeah. I'm saying let's work a little harder on this one. Well, and maybe not always on the post production end. Maybe it's on the planning end. I mean, the yeah. road show is so well thought out. The road show is always so interesting. You seem to come to it with a vision. You seem to find the right people. You seem to find the right questions. You seem to articulate what you're trying to say, what you're looking for. And I think that you're also somebody who's eager to learn, right? Sometimes you come in with an agenda, but other times you're forced to let the story come to you. But then I think even with the roadshow, at least, again, I don't know, I haven't sat and watched you doing your mad scientist thing at home before, but I feel like the finished product, as it should be, as somebody who cares about the work that they do, the finished product matters to you, and you're not going to release it into the wild until... Like Dr. Moreau, you feel that everything is finished. How many shows have you done? 180, did you say? Uh-huh. So you treat them to me a lot like radio. There's not a big difference between this and radio. It's very similar. Yeah. And other people treat podcasts like radio, and I think a lot of listeners like that. I think they appreciate that approach. Uh, when I left radio and went into podcasting, I saw it as such a different animal. It couldn't have seemed more foreign and more unrelated to what I had done before, but that was how my brain was seeing it. And the the reason it looked so different was it was pre-recorded. Are we pre-recorded? Right yes. here? Yeah. Yeah, this is not live. Okay. So if you're pre-recorded, so I leave a 20-year career of live radio, I'm in pre-recorded country. To me, you just shifted almost to writing a book in the same way... Take a guy like Hemingway. He didn't have someone reading over his shoulder as he typed. And as they read, he said, oh, this is bad right here. I want to take this out. Well, you can't. We're reading it as you type. Some guy comes along and says, I'll be your editor, Hemingway. And Hemingway says, editor? Why do I need an editor? And the answer is every writer needs an editor. Well, somewhere along the line, it was determined that radio guys don't need editors, but who determined that and why? When you go to pre-record, you now have an opening for an editor. And you should hire him, and he should be you. He should be that other part of your brain, in my mind. Now, I don't think people necessarily appreciate that. So in terms of what they're attracted to, you're almost giving them something they didn't ask for. But my listening mind is asking for it and sees a huge difference between, well, let's put it this way. 
the show I would have aired if it were you and me and John Height doing for the sake of the songs mm-hmm. without editing it and what we came to with editing it. Because think of how many tangents you went down. <laughs> a couple. You know, in a given show. <clears throat> right. I want four of those eight. I don't want all eight tangents. Um, I can do that with editing and still end up with a one-hour show. Uh, but I, So I don't know what you say to that. Well, and so... You know, I, I was probably overstating it being given to hyperbole like I am when I said OCD, but there is a very, a, a deliberateness, a meticulousness to what you do because you care about the finished product. And with a podcast, you have the opportunity to do that. So it's, to me, it's, there are elements of investigation. There are elements of storytelling. Mm-hmm. But overall, it's entertaining. And so really, I mean, I guess the only thing I meant was as a compliment, I don't know anybody, whether it was your live, spontaneous, madcap, and often insightful approach to radio, or what you do with the road show, Mm -hmm. I don't know anybody else like you. That being said, we're going to answer a couple of real basic questions, and we're going to get to a song, because I don't like to go too long without music Mm -hmm. on this show. Where are you from? St. Paul. Rockin' East Side? No, I grew up kind of uh, between St. Catherine's College and McAllister College. So born and raised. Yep. Twin Cities guy. Still still in St. Paul. Yeah, I know you are. So uh, I've been to your home, a lovely, stately, Mishki Manor, as I, I like to call it. I've been to Minneapolis. <laughs> <laughs> Reluctantly. <laughs> there are a lot of nice places to eat, a lot of big buildings. Yeah, no, it's really, really quite lovely on occasion. Um, you grew up there. Then what happens next? How do you go from being St. Paul boy to radio boy? And I know that's a big question, but, you know, condense it. By being a caller. So I was a character who called Don Vogel's show at KSTP in the 80s. And I became known as the Phantom Caller because I did my bits and hung up. I never interacted. And I got to know him through that. He encouraged me in his own way to keep calling, and it got to the point where I made sure I called every day with something. And pretty soon I was writing the bits, which may be the OCD thing again. I don't know. I'm going to look into that. Yeah, I, again, I'm really I'm sorry. sorry I said I'm that. Sorry I brought I, it up. I'm really sorry I said that. But there is a desire to really do something well, and I have found... If you put more and more time into something, you do it well. But diminishing returns is also the story. Uh, Many, many people have learned that when you work too hard on something, it starts to work backwards. And I'll already tell you that because of the way I do the podcast, I'm burning out on the podcast. And you probably won't burn out on this in the same way because it's more like radio for you. Well, it is, but I'm also very jealous of you because you do it once a month. Well, it takes me two weeks to do that one show. But that's the whole bit. Because of the level of prep you put in, because of your getting the exact right guest, and because of how you make sure it's crafted perfectly, that's a lot of work. Uh, I think from my perspective, and and I came to Mishki the same way you did, Brian, that I would catch myself on my way home from someplace and listen to him over the years and hear what he had to say. And, And... the thing that was masterful about that show was that it was improv and right, now, or right. at least it appeared right. to be improv. It had, it had elements of improv yes. and it had hours of preparation and it was the mix. The, the preparation was the, was the net and the improv was the high wire act with the net below it. Absolutely right. And now you're, so, so the interesting thing is that, that I, I feel like you're highly detail oriented, but you're, it's much like mm-hmm. it's much like an actor who is also an improviser improvising for years and then saying, you know what, I'm going to go to scripted material. I'm going to go to somewhat scripted material, which is really what the podcast is. 
but you, you know, almost like a stand-up comedian, but almost like scripted comedy, not that your show, your current show is comedy. I think it's more interesting than anything else. You engage characters and people, human beings, in a different way with your show. Parts of it are hilarious, but parts of it are incredibly poignant and sometimes sad and that sort of thing. But I think it, that's what I see as the, as the, the two differences. And the only thing that I can, I can imagine is that there's got to be times where you just can't decide with what you pull out or not. You know, like, do I leave that in? Do I leave that in? Knowing that the average time spent listening on a podcast, and Mishki, you heard this first from me probably 13 years ago, was the average time spent li- listening is 45 minutes. Right. So we do an hour show hoping right. to get people to the finish line, although they may not stay for the end of the play if we refer to it as a scripted type of show. Well, shit, that means we're more than halfway through already, and <laughs> screw that. So before we go any further, because I have so many more questions for you, let's get to the first song. You know, one of the things that I like about this, no matter who we're talking to, fellow broadcaster, podcaster, entrepreneur, musician, whoever, I think that, you know, which is why I love doing uh, For the Sake of the Song with you, I believe that music is a connective tissue that informs us about one another. It doesn't define us by any stretch of the imagination, but it does inform us. And I love learning. I think that, you know, when I listen to w- the work that you do, I know you do too. You don't come into every situation thinking, I know everything about everything all the time. And this first song you've chosen, it's a name I've heard before, but literally other than the fact that he wrote Polk Salad and Annie, I know nothing about Tony Joe White. That shocks me. <laughs> I, and again, it's, I, didn't, I didn't pick an obscure guy. It's not. It's not a sign of disrespect. No, it's, I know. You know, but like we all have blind spots, right? right. You can only have. You right. can only know so many things. So I'm not disrespecting him. Right. But I got to be honest. It's not a name that regularly drifts through my transom, if you will. <laughs> right. Well, I first heard the guy when I was a little kid because I had older brothers and they told me what to listen to, what not to, what's cool, what isn't, Was and they bought the cool? hi-fi in '69. Uh, we're going way back. Oh, okay. Uh, they, bought the, right. they bought the Hi-Fi in 69, and they'd let me go downstairs into their bedroom that they shared. I had four older brothers. And uh, wow. that's where I first heard, I think it came out in 70, AMFM with George Carlin, who became a hero of mine from mm-hmm. then on, from when I was in first grade on. And around that time, Tony Joe came out with an album with this song on it. Stood. I can be your stud spider no more Cause a black widow done got on me I have searched for a long time Trying to find some satisfaction I have known some lovely ladies in my time, but they only give me a mild reaction. Oh, I feel into your will, and you love me all through the night. Oh, you got me under your spell. And you bring me up to unbelievable heights I don't want to be A stud spattered no more 
Cause a black widow done got on me All my frustrations And you satisfy all my desires When I'm all with aggravation You come to me, baby Well, you light all my fires Oh, I don't want to be A stud spider no more Cause a black widow Black Widow done got on me, y'all.
Now I understand a little better how he procured the nickname the Swamp Fox. Oh, man. The swamp bleeds out of that song. I think on the record, when you list the instruments, there is something called the Swamp Fox. I don't even know what that is. I don't either. But I want to get one. (laughs) (laughs) If it's going to make you sound like that, you mentioned growing up with four older brothers in this incredibly weird time in American history Late 60s, early 70s. So you've got all these older brothers with wispy mustaches and long hair and dirty bell-bottom jeans. Is that true? Looking at their draft numbers, yeah. Yeah, well, but I mean, when you talk about... So I grew up with friends. Again, I'm a little bit behind you, but not much. Friends who had the older brother who had transformed the crappy paneled basement into their bedroom where all the weed was smoked and they had the little Budweiser flicker bulb from Spencer (laughs) Gifts and all that kind of stuff. I mean, was that your life growing up in St. Paul? Yeah, my brothers would sit me down and put a, a headset on like the one you have me mm-hmm. wearing mm-hmm. and they'd play a moody blues song and teach me to follow the bass lines he said mm-hmm. no one understands the bass lines and they'd tell stories like imagine a painting on the wall without shading that's a song without Ooh. a bass wow and they spent a lot of time with me they were the kind of brothers who didn't shoo me away i was very lucky wow and since that's, i had a dad who didn't pay much attention to me it was very nice to have them playing that role yeah and they take me to parties uh sometimes uh, ones my parents probably would have been in their right mind to have uh, uh, called authorities i would be at a party at seven and eight and everybody'd be on acid but me wow and me and my little brother i had a younger brother too so there were six of us six, uh, six boys. boys and me and my younger brother he was jerry so that's tom he was jerry and we'd walk up to guys and we thought it was kind of cute We'd go, walk up to guys and we'd say, hi, we're Tom and Jerry. We got a drink and a cartoon named after us. And a guy on acid would look at us and just start screaming. And we didn't understand why. <laughs> Having been on acid, <clears throat> I understand why. Tommy Mischke is our guest, and we'll get back to him in just one moment here, but we do have to thank Forgotten Star Brewing. Forgotten Star Brewing is the newest sponsor of The Brian Oak Show, an amazing tap room and brewery in Fridley, Minnesota, right there on the border of Fridley and Minneapolis, and they're right there on the tracks as well. they got a cool indoors area. they got a cool outdoors area for all kinds of live music. They're on the tracks. They're dog-friendly inside and out, and I think the thing that appeals most, in addition to the fact that the guys are cool, yeah. the thing that appeals most to Sean and I even though neither of us drink anymore, is they don't bend over backwards to make the beer too arty, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just... Not trying to be too cool for the room. Hint, I don't do well with that. Hints of you. parsimon. Yeah. And coriander. <laughs> we, a uh, little nutmeg in there as well. Yeah. It's just the regular old school, uh, st- you know, styles. Although what happened the other day? Oh, <laughs> I got made fun of for uh, ripping on craft beer like that. And then being told how bougie I was for having uh, artisanal Italian sodas. Did in the you studio drink here. quickly when you drank? No, I actually did it rather slowly. What I would do is I would order two, hammer down the first one, and then savor the second one. See, and I would just drink everything quickly. Like right? I'd usually have, and I was more of a beer guy than you know. You never really. I never was. Guy, but, yeah, but I'd always have three the first hour. Yeah. Because I was like, that's enough to get me going. Let's and get then up to I just speed. didn't think about it after that. And just yeah, kept going bam, and bam, going bam, and going bam, 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 exactly. That was it. And, and there was, there is a 
I've always had a nervous energy, so I think it helped take that away. Oh, yeah. And then I was like, I just didn't care after Oh, that, that was so. a big part of my drinking, the yeah. social anxiety for how social and public my job was for many, many years, and I guess now is returned to. Again, I wasn't looking to get wasted. I just didn't want to feel uncomfortable in front of people I didn't know well. That was a big motivator for me right there. I think a lot of people have thought I was an extrovert, but I'm really an extroverted introvert. So I don't do well in crowds, and I never have, and I also get exhausted by crowds. I've seen you up on stage belting your heart out. Granted, it was after 7 or 8, but I mean, you were... That's what it takes. You were getting into it. Anyway, I think we were talking about Forgotten Star Brewing. Very good. So we're not encouraging that sort of behavior. We are encouraging you to check out a very dog-friendly and family-friendly local tap room and brewery, and we're going to be there middle of next month. Yeah, October... Not October. September 18th for Oktoberfest. Correct. Uh, We'll be there for a good chunk of the day from 3 to 9 o'clock. Stop by and say hello, ForgottenStarBrewing.com. Tommy Mischke is our guest right now. And so you talk about growing up like that. It was very interesting. Uh, So long before we got to sort of know each other in recent years, I had the privilege of meeting you once when you worked at uh, 1500. And I brought this up to you one other time, and you had zero recollection of it, which is fine. We had a mutual friend, Andrea, who was a salesperson at KSTP at the time. And I told her how I was sort of enamored, like I'd sort of starry-eyed about this Mishki guy because he was such an unknown quantity. There wasn't anybody else like him. And we went out to breakfast one day at a place on Selby and Dale. I can't remember the name of the place. The Louisiana. That's exactly it. And we're sitting there eating, and you're kind of quiet, and you are shy and retiring, and you're staring out the window. And I didn't want to bug you, but I had one really important question, because the thing I was so enamored of listening to your show on 1500 was what Sean brought up. The the element of improv seemed to be the whole thing, right? And uh, But I'm, I'm like, but there's no way. Some of this stuff is so brilliant. Nobody, nobody bats a thousand. Nobody gets that lucky every time. But I asked you, I'm like... You know, you make it seem like it all just unfolds. And does it actually just unfold? And you sat there quietly, Eastwood-like, looking out the window. (laughs) And you kind of tilted your heads toward me without looking directly in my eye. And you're like, Brian, have you ever, and you were respectful. You said, you know, you've done this long enough. Has anybody ever been good at this without any prep whatsoever? And it was it, it stuck with me literally to this day because I think Sean hit it on the head. Your combination of dedication and preparation, but also willing to, well, that was a bigger wave than I expected. Let's see what happens. But you maintained a control over it the whole time. To this day, I've still never heard anybody quite like you. And I just wanted to say thanks because that was that was a learning moment for me from someone who I still revere to this day as a truly incredible and unique broadcaster. Well, that's very kind of you. I, I'm... When I hear you talk, there's a guy you're talking about who I'd like to meet. <laughs> uh, all I was doing in my mind was just doing what I did in my bedroom when I was a kid or what I did with friends around a fire. We used to pass around a tape recorder and try to do improvisational stuff, and I'd mm-hmm. save the tapes. And it was just that at KSTP, but the difference was they let me do it night after night till I got good. I wasn't good when I started. They Nobody is, right? A strange, well, but you don't give a guy who isn't good a 50,000-watt radio program. True. They do. They did. And it was very strange that they did. And a lot of people who were professionals didn't like how they approached it. They would say, you know, there's a lot of us who've been working at, at this for years in the country looking for a job, 
and you're damn near giving away shows and contests, and that's not an exaggeration. The guy I took my <laughs> night show from won it in a contest. <laughs> won the show. <laughs> so, and when I started, the ads on my show were the back pages of City Pages. It was right. strip joints. Go on. And uh, nobody cared. I asked the boss, what, what's with this? Well, the show to, the the... The show doesn't make a dime. We don't get a dime. Not one ad on there is making us a penny anymore. Right. Except the strip joints. The other ones, <laughs> the, the other ones, if you advertise during the day, they'd say, we'll give you a, three, a free one at night. So those were all free. And so I said, so this show, this is costing you money. The fact that you're paying me, but they allowed me to get good at it over time. Which, and, by the way, that, that era is over, right? I mean, yeah, that'll never over, happen again. Right. In addition to things being so tightly controlled now, there's rarely, other than drive time, anyone sitting live behind a microphone. We had a Christian woman, a fundamentalist Christian woman, about 21 years of age, voicing all the strip joint ads because she had the (laughs) sexiest voice in the world. Fabulous. And uh, it would just be so funny to walk around the corner, look through the glass, and see her there with the crucifix hanging off her saying, get an exotic vu of the arts, deja vu. And, man, just this, just this beautiful, sexy voice. Yeah. And then afterwards she would be, what, what, who would she be like? I don't know, Jan Brady or something. Yeah. It's weird. And she'd have to go somewhere and repent. Yeah. Sean Bernard, we have to do one more sponsor check-in before we go any further. We're going to get a song right after this, by the way, though. <clears throat> I could listen to you talk all damn day. <laughs> you too, Sean, and I want to hear you talk, not all day, but for about no. the next 60 seconds, about your work with Edina Realty. Yeah, I'm a realtor. I didn't uh, think I was going to be a realtor when I was a little kid, but it just kind of happens, and uh, I like helping people, whether it's helping them start a podcast or helping them buy a house or whatever it happens to be. I enjoy it, so... One of the things I'm doing right now to help out local artists and musicians, if you're looking to buy or sell a house, I actually donate a portion of each sale to a local artist or musician of your choice. Uh, 612-859-2594. That number is also textable. And you're telling me it's an okay time to buy and or sell, that I'm not going to be living in a refrigerator box. No, you're not. And what's happened is the market (laughs) slowed, thankfully, and the interest rates are still incredibly low. I look at what the rate was when I bought bought my first house back in 98, I think it was like 6.8%. And now they're under three. And so everything's relative, but I I do a lot of homework. I'm kind of a nerd about the stats and the research. And so we'll make sure that the home that you're buying or selling, that we're selling it around the right price. I will say this out loud. I don't love greed. So if you're a very greedy person, uh, please don't call me. And I mean that. That may sound harsh, but I've I've dealt with a couple people that I just don't. Do you have any idea how business works? I just don't do it. Huh. I just don't do it. I had to let one client go because of it. I just said, nope, wow. I'm not real interested in somebody that thinks that their house is going to get 100000 more than it's worth. It's Sorry, it's not. So could've call give, another realtor. There's plenty of us out there. Could have given it a shot. <laughs> exactly. Jesus, dude. Tommy Mischke is our guest right now. <clears throat> it's time for another song. We've gone too long without one. You have chosen... A song from, it's an album that I actually, pardon me, it's an album that I actually know a good deal about, only because when it first came out, I was doing a Sunday night show that was all independent, imported new releases on a radio station called um, 
Zone 105. And they sent this out knowing that he was past his prime in the world of country, but thinking maybe he's been around long enough that the indie kids, the alt kids, might be into it. And it is a reflective album. I went and did a little digging once you sent me your list of songs. It's hard for me to believe this is the 50th studio album of his long and story career. It was not his last, but 50th. Think about how often you've been in the studio that you've put out not just best ofs, not compilations, 50 goddamn studio albums, Tommy. It is extraordinary. So tell me why. I mean, again, I know why, but I want you to tell our listeners why this guy and why this song. If you look at Rolling Stone's list of the greatest country artists of all time, this guy is number one. Mm -hmm. So he's number one. And the reason that matters with this particular song is he didn't write it. Blaze Foley wrote it. Mm -hmm. And it's the story generally around a song that I love as much as the song. And with this particular song, some lonely drunk guy sleeping under pool tables in Austin whose career Mm. went nowhere. In fact, he didn't have a (laughs) career. Has a song, and I don't, to this day understand why this song was the song, but he had a song Merle Haggard embraced in a way he hadn't embraced a song in 15 years. In fact, he heard it and said, this is the greatest country song I've heard in 15 years. Now, when I listen to it, I don't hear that. It's just another song. But I love that the guy who's number one on Rolling Stone's list called it that. He knows more than I do. And I love that some nobody sleeping under a pool table in Austin got the greatest country artist of all time to say that about his song. Blaze Foley could have died right then and there. Uh, It's a good thing he stuck around because I think it was after that. I may be wrong that Prine did one of his songs. Mm -hmm. And the one-two of that would have been enough to, I'd call that a lifetime right there. And he was, of course, murdered at the age of 39 in Mm -hmm. Austin and gone but that he got to see that happen with his song. I just would love to know what that feels like. That's why. Touching me just now. I wish I knew which way to turn and go. I feel so good, and then I feel so bad. wonder what I ought to do If I could only fly If I could only fly I'd bid this place goodbye To come and be with you But I can hardly stand And I got nowhere to run 
Another sinking sun And one more lonely night The wind keeps blowing somewhere Every day Tell me things get better Somewhere up the way Dismal thinking on a dismal day The sad songs for us to bear If I could only fly If I could only fly I'd bid this place goodbye To come and be with you But I could hardly stand And I got nowhere to run Another sinking sun And one more lonely night You know, sometimes I write happy songs Then some little thing goes wrong And I wish they all could make you smile Coming home soon and I want to stay Maybe we can somehow get away And I wish you could come with me When I go again If I could only fly If we could only fly If you could only fly, there'd be no more lonely nights. Think about being 50 albums into your career. Now, clearly, you've got the experience, right? You've honed your chops. You've more than earned your place and your respect. Think about your voice still being that pure as a lifelong Unrepentant smoker. Mm. There are songs yeah. on that record about how he refuses to put tobacco down. And still sounding that beautiful, that good. Maybe for some people it's not raw enough, it's not outlaw enough, it's a little too reflective, it's an old man looking back on the past. That song is a heartbreaker. So A, Blaze Foley must be a brilliant songwriter or had been a brilliant songwriter. Um, 
But I just it's hard for me to imagine that Merle's voice stayed that beautiful for that long. I've listened to pretty much all of Blaze's stuff, and he's he's just one of these guys, and I'm sure there are many of them out there who write and write and write, and then all of a sudden something just soars. I I would love to know how much we'll never know because he's gone. I'd love to know how much credit he would give Towns Van Zant because he hung around mm. him so much. They were like uh, Tom and Jerry, actually. They were uh, all over ah! Austin together. Yeah. <laughs> so hanging around Towns might have had an effect. You know, with Towns, it wasn't so much every now and then. It was with regularity. But right. Blaze was uh, every now and then he could pull it off. But he was he was blitzed all the time. I mean, he, of course, so was Towns. So that's not a good excuse. Right. Uh, I actually, you know, there's a movie on his life. Uh, Ethan Hawke put it out. About mm. Towns about or about Blaze? Oh, about Blaze Foley. Really? I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. And uh, there's a guy who plays Towns in that particular film. And it's one of the, one of those lives that you, you don't you don't admire the life. And it's a sad kind of pathetic life. And it's, uh, it's, have you ever seen the movie? What, what's the movie that uh, Nicolas Cage did where he just disappears into alcohol? Living Las Vegas. That's it, the one. It, it, I, Las... I watched that and wanted to yes. stop drinking for a decade. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah. just, well, he went there to die. Right. That yeah. was his whole but point. But to drink himself to death. Exactly. Yes. That's what hanging around Blaze must have been like. Yeah. And you know, uh, Lucinda Williams wrote yep. that lovely song about him. Yeah. Uh, Drunken Angel. Drunken mm-hmm. Angel. Uh, Great song. And, and if if Lucinda Williams and Towns Van Zandt are both going to write a song about you, you must inspire something. You have something there. Yeah. Well, and he's another in the long line of maybe not ignored, but unheralded. Definitely unheralded. Great Texas singer-songwriters. Mm-hmm. I mean, Rodney Crowell, people know that name, mm-hmm. but people outside of music don't know that name. You right. know, Hayes right. Carl, a much more recent version of that. Mm-hmm. But you mentioned Towns Van Zandt. Guy Clark, Jerry mm-hmm. Jeff Walker. I mean, the, the number of people who are in there. And then again, that's barely scratching the surface. Right. These sort of people that everybody who's in country or folk or somewhere in that arena, they know who these people are. But outside of that, they're not household names. Nobody do. You know, even if you're a country music fan, especially the younger you are, the less likely you are to have ever even heard Guy Clark's name, except unless you're like drunken uncle was like, you listen to Guy Clark. You like this shit, you better listen to Guy Clark. I love that when he wrote Clay Pigeons, when Blaze wrote that, Mm -hmm. and John Prine heard it, John Prine actually said, and I I know just what he meant, "How, how did that guy write that song? I was supposed to write that song. It is as close to a John Prine song <laughs> as someone can write without being John Prine. And when you hear Prine do it, when Prine eventually records it, mm. nobody accepts that Prine didn't write it because right. it's too much of a Prine song. And Blaze didn't write it for him. Or, I mean, without knowing it, maybe he did. Prine, in my opinion, so that is someone I did grow up with. A lot of these other names that I just rattled off, I've come to learn about in the interim. But I did grow up in a a Prine household. My dad was a huge fan of John Prine's. And so growing up with that sort of, and we've talked about this on For the Sake of the Song when we were doing that podcast, which, by the way, twist my arm anytime you want to revive it, you let me know, all right? Um, But we talked about, like, there may not have ever been another American songwriter with as deft a touch or as nuanced an ability to be able to take you from the smirky, sardonic 
to the absolute soul-rending, crushing nature of pointless reality within a song, or certainly within the span of two or three songs, than John Prine, quite simply put, and I don't think it's hyperbole, one of the most gifted songwriters in American history. But you know what's extraordinary about him, and I don't know if you've ever looked at this, he comes out with his first album. When he dies, however many years later, the first songs anybody wants to put on to sit back and remember him and think about him are the songs from that first album. It's a pretty spectacular album. Well, I would argue he never topped it. I would agree. And and that's odd because you certainly wouldn't say that about Dylan. No. You certainly wouldn't Mm-mm. say it about the Beatles. You nope. could go on and on. Most people matured and got better later. Yeah. I don't know what the hell happened there, but I bet <laughs> I bet Prine thought about it over the years. I bet he thought about it. He said He had other good records. I mean, Sweet I'm not Revenge, saying they weren't Sweet good. They Revenge didn't is a great top record. it. They didn't no, top it. But because nobody comes out of the box, and I think that's another one of his gifts. Nobody comes out of the box that fully formed, right? Dire Straits came out of the box that fully formed. And we could probably if we spend some time thinking about it, but I mean, as he grew and continued on, he would remain clever. He would remain with a very, very powerful ability to break your heart wide open. But I I kind of tend to agree that first record is the best thing he ever did. I think it has something to do, and this is speculation, with I think that was written while he walked delivering mail. Yeah. So I think there was something about who he was when that was written versus, oh, now I'm a songwriter, now I'm a professional, mm-hmm. now this is my job. Something about that coming out of a pedestrian, a civilian, just some guy delivering mail. I think there's something about living that life. I've often thought about that with Woody Guthrie, uh, how much he felt he had to stay close to the lives of those he was writing about, as opposed to a Springsteen, who when you actually look at his life, doesn't have anything really in common with any of these people he's writing about other than they're human beings, and he can tap into what being a human being is. Most people that become successful, I think, lose themselves in it and they don't know how to behave and they don't know how to act and it can reflect in their art and in their work. They get to a point where they don't know, do I believe the bullshit that everybody's telling me? Am I all these things they say that I am? Or well, I am that? am I still the person walking the mail route? And I think there's something about getting old uh, as far as uh, Ken Kesey said one time when he looked like a young man to me, maybe he was in his 50s, hmm. somebody said, uh, are you going to write another novel? He said, oh, no, never. Why not? I, I'm old. What does that have to do with anything? He says, oh, talk to any of the great novelists. It takes stamina. It's a young man's game. Now, granted, there were plenty mm. of old guys who wrote novels, but what he was saying is art, it doesn't have to be uh, about ballet or, or it can be just sitting down. It takes stamina, mental stamina to pull it off. Prine at the end of his life was, I believe, only writing with another guy. He'd get together regularly with him and sit, and he needed the collaboration to do it. It's almost, to me, it was almost like a cane, like an old man's cane. The last question I'm going to pick your brain with before we hear your final song and thank our sponsors one last time is this, because you hit the point right there talking about that Ken Kesey quote, who I'm a huge fan of, by the way. Uh, The whole Mary Pranksters thing, again, circling back around to acid, 
I, I'll never do acid again as long as I live. Um, did it for a summer and a half, and that was plenty. I'm but, doing it now. Oh, well, I, you, you hold <laughs> it together really well. It's the acid version of the Palm, Palm Olive commercial. <laughs> <laughs> You're soaking in You're it. You're soaking in it. <laughs> Match. <laughs> Just look at that picture right up there on the wall here inside the Smart Start MN studio. Dishwashing liquid. <laughs> You brought up, but <clears throat> you just mentioned that he said no because it's a young man's game and it requires stamina. It, it's a matter of sitting down and putting your shoulder into it and doing the work, right? So you said something relatively telling to me early on in our podcast here about mm-hmm. your podcast, mm-hmm. The Road Show, mm-hmm. that you said it. there's a point of diminishing return mm-hmm. and it's starting to take its toll on you. Can I ask in what way that is, in that it's harder to come up with ideas and that you feel less inspired? That you're just damn tired. How is it? How is it becoming? How is it taking its toll on you? I don't enjoy it anymore at uh, all. No. Okay. Oh, that's fair, and no. I, I that, but I mean, yeah. that's this is a real and important discussion we're yeah. having here. If the joy goes out of something, how do you find the will to do it? Right. I mean, I, I gave WCCO two days' notice when the joy went out of that job. Yeah. I mean, it went out, and I said. I'm done. They said, what are you going to go do? I said, I have no idea. I don't have anything, but I am done with this. And uh, after two years of writing a column for City Pages, I sat down one day and I, I said, I have nothing more to say. It's only 750 words. You don't have 750 words? No, <laughs> I don't. I don't know how guys write columns for 50 years. I don't. Uh, so I don't know what's going on in my brain. It's a stamina game, and it's an interest game, and I think it might be a dopamine game. When the dopamine's flowing and it feels good, then you feel like you're where you, sh- where you should be. And when that dries up, it's like a motorcycle. I used to have a motorcycle when I was young. You put me on a motorcycle now, I don't enjoy a motorcycle ride. Not one bit of it. All I think about is the number of people I know who have died on this thing, you know, and the nickname for me on the highway being organ donor. Uh, but as a young man, loved it, thrilled. Uh, so I got to find something else to do, and I got to do it this fall. So are you? Have you always been, or has this been a, a more recent development in your life? You know, as we all evolve, have you always been an all-or-nothing guy? Probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say I've, true to yourself is what I've seen. You're true to yourself, and you know your limits, and you <laughs> express them pretty quickly. Is what I've seen. You kind of say, okay, yeah, that's that's it. But whereas a lot of people, Mishki will stay with something forever due to a sense of obligation. Not that you have not been that to your wife and to your family, but mm-hmm. I think you're very honest with yourself and with others at some point. You go, ah, yeah, that's that's it. That's it. And you're not, I'm not going to put shit work out if I don't, Mm-hmm. care for it anymore because right. you you care about the you know the product that you're putting out there. i think a lot of people are like well this is what i do and i'm doing okay at it so i'm just going to keep cranking it out and grinding it out and well basically coasting on the past so final question and i mm-hmm. thought that was going to be my last question and we do have to wrap it up because according to sean's research people quit listening listening 20 minutes ago um only to the <clears> average <throat> podcast i see exactly <laughs> so it's not bringing you joy anymore, and it's not going to continue from the sounds of things right. very much longer. Right. You need to find something else to do. Right. Do you, at this point, even have the slightest inkling of what that might be? You know what's never sounded easier? Live radio. Seriously? Never sounded easier. You go in, you do it, it's over with afterward. What took me two weeks to do a 
in the last eight years is now over with on the same day I started working on it. Uh-huh. Wow. That looked fun. Really? We'll see. Please. I please don't take my job, but please, <laughs> yeah. please get back so into that live was the radio. Other thing he wanted to say. <laughs> yeah, I, the, sorry. The final comment, but I would like nothing more than to know that on the daily or on the regular, at least, I could hear Tommy Mischke on the radio. That would be full circle for me. I'd love that. Before we say our final farewell, I do need to thank Smart Start MN. Got to thank Sean Bernard. Thank you, Sean yep, Bernard. Palmer's Bar we got to talk about. Palmer'sBar.net. That's where you go to find out everything happening out on their deck throughout the summer. A lovely watering hole located on the West Bank. Back in the day, the West Bank used to be the place, man. That was where all the groovy cats were hanging out. Man, Three blocks you, from where my son lives at Augsburg now. I just went to school at Augsburg. I can tell my wife I'm going to visit the lad and I can be watching music. And you can be referring to T- Tony Zaccardi as the lad, right? Exactly. The owner of Palmer's exactly Bar. Right. Now, there was a time where you could walk around and ask, hey, man, are you holding? How much for a lid? <laughs> that kind of thing, right? It's maybe not those days as much anymore, but Palmer's Bar is still a lovely destination. And they've got great live music scheduled for the entire summer. Palmer'sBar.net. Forgotten Star, don't forget that we are going to be out there on September 18th for Oktoberfest. We'll have details on that coming up as our shows continue and we get we'll closer. We'll be at... Forgotten Star. That's what I just said. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah. I said, don't forget, we'll be at Forgotten Star. Oh, I, was tying a I thing got there. you. I see what you. I'm sorry. Short nap. Appreciate I'm that. I'm over 50 now. So. Unbelievable. I've, <laughs> I was building towards a giant climactic end, and you're terrible at giving a hand. I'm going to do a Mishki and. Uh, Edit all this out. Oh, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. There's reality. Never happened. Never happened. <laughs> there is reality. Thanks to all of our sponsors. Thanks to our Patreon members. Thanks to AudioQuip for providing us with what Mishki has termed as a really bougie setup that we've got here. <laughs> just kidding. You never said that. I just, I got defensive. You, 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 but you said, why bother having the Smart Start MN Studio? I like it here, man. It's like a tree fort, you know? And if I, if I, like Merle Haggard, need to go somewhere to feel appreciated, I just sit here with my own thoughts and I feel better about things. It's nice to have a little tree fort to climb away to once in a while. Have the listeners seen this room? You have a lot of pictures of it? Pictures kind of of like this back wall and things every time like you're about to take a picture once we're done here okay. to promote this that people will see it. But we haven't done like a 360 tour because it really is only about 10 feet by 12 feet. So there's not a lot to show them. But yeah, I mean, we got a nice little setup here. It's a lovely room. It feels like a radio studio. Yeah, well, yeah. that was kind of the plan, and yeah. we enjoy it very much. Um, I enjoy your company very much. It was really nice of you to decide to come and join us today. I appreciate it. Nothing in life is easier than doing this. Yeah. Just sitting, talking. Yeah, and see, that's lovely. why I loved doing for the sake of the songs, because it's like, you guys want to come over and talk about these three topics, eight topics, nine topics? I'm like... Absolutely. Back when I was doing a little drinks and too, nothing, nothing, nothing <laughs> comes out more than music opinions when I start putting a little talking fluid in. Um, so if people would like to hear the entire amassed archives of the roadshow, where would be the best place to go? com. And if people decide they want to start a campaign and tell you, I don't care what your feelings are, you can't stop doing the roadshow, will they find a way to contact you there at that website? Mm-hmm. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Very good. I just won't change my mind. Okay. <laughs> Is it done? Are that you, you going to do another one? Is it done? I was trying to think if I'm at my last or my second from the last, but somewhere in there. There's really? a there's a weird music themed one I might do in, uh, that'll come out October first because I'm going to be playing some music and I haven't done that in a long time. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Live and the road that one travels to a live performance from thinking about it. To preparing for it, to doing it, 
there's so much there, so many questions I have for myself, and that also could be asked of anybody who does this for a living, uh, about that arc all the way to the end of the performance and what that's all about. So I may do my last podcast on that, on that subject, and then go out with something that I really liked. Where will you be performing? There's a street in St. Paul called Lincoln, and the Mm. shows there are called Live at Lincoln Center Mm -hmm. of the Block. Yeah. Live at Lincoln Center of the Block. Bream's written about them. So I'm going to play there in September, and uh, I haven't done that in 25 years. Wow. You you kind of broke my heart that you're not going to do the road show anymore. But again, as the artist, your job is not to serve me. Your job is to serve your muse and to, you have to listen to your heart. And if the joy has gone out of it, eventually that will become evident in the product you create. So I guess what I really want to say is more than you've broken my heart, because you haven't really broken my heart. You've just made me uncertain about my own future, which, um, you know, people are scared about, right? It's hard for us to look at anything that's not part of the lens of our own eyes. Well, I guess what I'm really saying is I hope you find something that makes you as happy as you were yeah. at the peak of doing this because I enjoy what you do. Well, when it, when a Saturday came around when you were a kid and you went out and played ball with your friends, mm-hmm. at about the 37th inning, somebody <laughs> said, uh, yeah. I'm done. They said, I'm done. And nobody said, well, why? Baseball's fun. You know, the, everything comes to an end. It does. Yeah. It does. Well, good luck to you in whatever you you decide to do. We're going to wrap up episode 182 of The Brian Oak Show. Should it be a little while before you find a new endeavor, will you come back and join us again? Absolutely. I would love to have you back again in the not-too-distant future. And we're going to have you take us out with another song you've chosen right here. Uh, Tell me about the artist, why you chose her, and why you chose this tune. Unlike the last two songs, this one is an example to me of a song where someone writes it, And someone else takes it and makes it what it was born to be. So Sting writes it, and it's a hit, lovely song. Doesn't move me in the least when the man sings it. It might as well be a different song. This woman, another woman who died way too young in her 30s, Eva Mm. Cassidy takes it, and this this is the song as it was intended to be. And there are a handful of people on earth who can pull that off. Joe Cocker can pull that off, a few others. She does it here. Thank you, Tommy.
Oh. 